0: So this Sunday, we're going to start a new series. Look at this slide that uh, Julia put together. I really love it. It's called Jesus, Savior of the World. Uh, We're going to start this Sunday and leading up to Christmas. And we're going to look at how Jesus is the Savior of the whole world, meaning everybody. Everybody. Every race, uh, every gender, every ethnicity, every background, every, every situation, every person, Jesus is the Savior for that person. So we're going to look at that starting today. And we're going to start by looking at the earliest mention of Jesus uh, here in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Okay, so obviously Jesus is God, and Jesus as God is eternal. So God is outside of time. So God actually had no beginning. God has always existed. That's the reason God could create something, Because he's always been in existence. No one created God. God has always been present. So God has always been eternal. But when did God enter our space? Okay, where we call earth, the physical earth, when did God come in? From the very beginning. We see that in John chapter 1. From the very beginning, it says Jesus was in the beginning. Okay, John refers to Jesus as the Word. And it says in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And he was, he was with God in the beginning, and all things came through him. So we see that the creation of the world started through Jesus. That nothing came into being, nothing came into existence, except through Jesus. So this is where we see first see Jesus come onto the scene, is actually in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning of creation. But the focus that I wanted to have is, actually not on the very first time, but actually when Jesus was called to come to be the Savior, okay? And this is actually also in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, okay? So let's take a look at that. So Genesis chapter 3, Genesis, the beginning of chapter 3, we have Adam and Eve, and we have what's called the fall, okay? This is when Adam and Eve first committed sin, okay? They uh, were not supposed to take the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so when they partook of the tree... Um, they first sin entered the world. Okay, we're going to pick up that account starting in verse 8, after they had committed the sin. So talking about Adam and Eve, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Okay, this, this is kind of an interesting account, okay? So they had just committed the first sin of all mankind. So before that time, they were without any sin. They had perfect fellowship with God. There was nothing uh, breaking that fellowship or that connection with God until sin entered. Okay, what is their first reaction after they sinned? They hid themselves. Okay, and oftentimes this is kind of our response when we come across things that we've done is that we want to hide. And then we want to isolate. But it's interesting what happens here is that God calls them out. Not God calls them out in a negative way, God calls them out of hiding. He says, Where are you? Why are you hiding? You shouldn't be hiding. He knows what they did, He knows what's happened, He knows where they are, right? Even though that they're trying to hide, God knows where they are. It's like, And imagine trying to play hide and seek from the Lord. That's not really a fun game, right? Because he knows where they are. So when he says that they're hiding, are they really hiding from God? They're not. God knows where they are. God knows where they are. But he asks this question anyway. He says, where are you? So that's an interesting question that God is asking. He's saying, where are you? Is it because he doesn't know where they are? We just said, he already knows where they are. So then why is he asking this question Where are you? I believe he's giving them an opportunity to come out of hiding. I believe he's giving them an opportunity to come and to confess what they had done. I believe that God is giving you an opportunity to say, like, I'm still here and I'm still with you. I want you to come out of hiding. You don't need to hide from me. You don't need to hide from me because of the things that you've done. You don't need to hide from me and be ashamed because of the things that you've done. Even though that he knows that they've just committed sin, the very first sin of mankind. Yet he says, where are you? You don't need to be hiding anymore. Come out. Come out and be with me. Let's look at starting next verse 10. Then he says, Adam responded and said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid myself. And he said, and then God responded and said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? So Adam says to, says to the Lord, he says, I was afraid because I heard you in the garden. Which is really interesting because before he was never afraid of God. They were walking and talking in the garden. He had no fear. That's what sin does. That sin comes and brings fear where before there was no fear. Right, and it's, in, it's interesting because he says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? Which is also an interesting question because who else is there? There's only Adam and Eve. Like, what is he asking? Who told you that you were naked? There's actually nobody else to tell them, unless he's referring to maybe Satan. But he asks, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Again, he's giving Adam an opportunity to come clean. He said, giving him an opportunity to confess what he had done. How does Adam respond? The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, me, she gave from the tree and I ate. Okay, so it's interesting in verse 12, you see Adam's response. Is that God said, did you eat from that tree? And then right away, what does he do? He throws Eve underneath the bus, right? He said, it's not me, it's Eve. In fact, actually, when you look at verse 12 more closely, he doesn't actually blame Eve. Who does he blame? He actually blames God. He says, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Okay, so he doesn't take responsibility. He's blaming Eve and he's blaming God. He's saying, this is the woman you gave me. You're responsible for this. You know, when it was just you and me, we are fine. We were just hanging out, we are in the garden, we were having a good time, and then you said I needed this helper, so this is on you. You're the one that's responsible for this sin. You're the one that put Eve here. You're the one that put the woman here who gave me from the tree and I ate. What's really interesting to me is, we're gonna, then he turns to Eve and he speaks to Eve, but it's really interesting to me, you'll see in each case, he doesn't address what Adam says. You notice that? You notice in the, in the, in the narrative here, he doesn't respond to, to, to Adam. When you think he should, right? When Adam doesn't take personal responsibility, he in fact blames Eve and he blames God. God doesn't respond to that. Now later, he does, he does give a consequence to their sin, but he doesn't address that. Then he turns to Eve and says to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Again, same thing. She doesn't take personal responsibility. She says, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent, right? And it's really interesting when you look at Adam and you look at Eve. A lot of times, this is kind of our response, too, is we try to rationalize the things that happen. You say, like, you know, I did this, and I made this mistake. I lied, or I cheated, or I did this, this thing in my life. But you know why? It's because of this person. It's because of what they did. Look at what they said to me. Look at what they did to me. Don't you think I'm justified in being able to do that? Don't you think I have every reason to do that? And in human thinking, you might be right. You might be right. When someone has wronged you, when someone has done those things to you, is it okay that you get upset? Is it okay that you get angry? Humanly speaking, I would say it's true. But this is not what God is pointing out. God is pointing out that something else happens when we sin. And it's not just because we're justified in doing this to this person, but that it affects us and affects our relationship with God. And that's why he keeps giving them an opportunity to come clean. He says to Eve, what is this that you have done? Same as what he did with Adam. He wants to give Eve an opportunity to confess. Because he knows when we do that we can become clean. That we can be clear of our conscience. This is what he wants. This is why when they're hiding, he says, where are you? He wants them to come out of hiding. Because when we sin, we want to isolate ourselves. We don't want to be at church. We don't want to be at Bible study. We don't want to be at small group. We don't want to do, we want to hide away. But God's saying, you don't need to hide. You need to come out and to be with me. You need to confess what you have done. You need to come clean because I can make you clean, and I'm the only one that can. Next, in verses 14 and 15, the Lord turns to the serpent and says, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast on the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And then verse 15, verse 15 is the one we wanted to focus on. It says, and I will, speaking to Satan, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, so verse 15 is actually very interesting. Okay, verse 15 has a lot kind of packed in there, but let's try to kind of unpack it. Right, so he says quite a few things in verse 15. He says, I will put enmity between you, speaking Satan, and between the woman, between Eve, between your seed and her seed. Okay, and then speaking of Eve and her seed, what does he say? He says, her seed, okay, so you have to kind of follow, like, who is he talking about, right? When he says, he shall bruise you, right, he's talking about Eve's seed, right, when you look at the passage. He says, between your seed and her seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, talking about Satan, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, what is this a reference to? I believe this is a first reference to Jesus coming to dying for our sin. Okay, this says between Eve's seed and her offspring, what happens with her offspring, the one he's referring to, he shall bruise Satan on the head. In other words, give him a fatal blow to the head you shall bruise him on the heel okay i believe it's the first kind of introduction to jesus being crucified having a nail be put on his heel right even before thousands and thousands of years before crucifixion even exists god is already speaking god is already putting a plan in place To address sin from the very beginning, from the first sin, from the first sin that mankind committed, God said, I have a way and I have a plan. This doesn't come by surprise to me. When God created Adam and Eve, he already knew that this would happen. But he already had a plan in place. He already knew that he was going to send his son. He already knew that his son Jesus was going to deliver a fatal blow to Satan and strike him on the head. He knew that how it's going to come about. He knew that it was going to come through crucifixion. He knew that the Satan was going to come and drive a nail in his heel and to drive a nail in his hands. He knew that already thousands and thousands of years before it actually happened. Now, when we look at this passage, this is the first place that we see where Jesus has come to be the savior of the world all the way in Genesis. All the way in Genesis chapter 3, three, we see God already had it in mind. He was going to send his son. He was going to send his son to deliver us from sin. But when you look at this passage, there's a couple other interesting things. Okay? He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, talking about Satan, and her seed. Okay? It's really interesting because when you look at it, this actually doesn't make a lot of sense. Because, okay, doing a little bit of bio- biology here. Who has the seed when you're talking about offspring? The seed is from the man. But this passage says between your seed, talking about Satan, and the woman's seed. Why does, she, why does God say the woman has the seed? When it's the man who has the seed. Well, I think this is the first time we see that God is going to talk about Jesus, not only in his death, but also in his birth. That he's going to have an immaculate conception. The seed is not going to come from a man. The seed actually comes from the Lord. And when we look at this passage, I think it's the first indication where we see not only of how Jesus is going to die for our sin, but how he's going to be born into the world. When you look at this passage, he says, I will put enmity between you uh, you and the woman, between you and Eve, between your seed and her seed, talking about her offspring, right? And it's really interesting because when you look throughout the Bible, all of the genealogies come through the man, right? So when you look at numbers, when you look at Jesus', Jesus genealogy, which we will do in the coming weeks, in Matthew and so forth, they're all through the man, you know, so and so begot so and so, begot so and so, begot all men, right? And then in this patriarchal society, you understand why that's the case because it's going to find the lineage is going to find through the man. So it's even more curious right here why he says through the woman's seed and not through the man's. It's also interesting to me where he says, I will put enmity. Enmity means basically opposition, right? They're in like opposition to each other. That's enmity. He says, I'm going to put enmity between who? Between you, Satan, and the woman. Now, this is really curious because he doesn't say, I'm not going to put enmity between you, Satan, and the man. He says, I'm going to put enmity in opposition between you and the woman, Now, this is really interesting to me, right? Because when you look at the Bible, who has the primary responsibility for the sin? If you look in the New Testament, the primary responsibility for the sin is not on Eve. It's on Adam. God said, Adam, this is your responsibility for the sin occurring, not Eve. And so actually what Adam says when he says, it's your fault, Eve, is totally incorrect. It's Adam's responsibility. He was the first one to receive the instruction. He was the first one to receive the command. It was his responsibility. So if it's his responsibility, why does God say this to Satan and then indirectly to Eve? Why does he say, I'm going to put opposition between you, Satan, and you, Eve? And not, what makes more sense to me? Why does he say, I'm not going to put opposition between Satan and Adam, who's the one responsible for all this happening? Okay, so what I'm going to share with you, okay, this is just my personal take on this, okay, don't take this as gospel, but this is my personal take on what this passage is sharing. I believe that the woman has a special role in all of this taking place. I believe that the woman has been given a special um, kind of call by the Lord to really fight opposition, to have Uh, a place in spiritual opposition. When you see here that God is putting enmity between Satan and the woman, what I believe that God is recognizing is that he puts something special in the woman to be able to battle in this way. That he wouldn't put this on her unless she had a special call given by God to carry this out to be able to go through this, to be able to endure this. We see this in the rest of the, the different consequences that Jesus plays out. He says that uh, with Eve, it, she's going to have pain in childbirth and the different things. And for Adam, who's responsible for the land, he says it's going to make it more difficult for you to do that. In this case, what we see is God puts something special in the woman to be able to fight against this enmity between her and Satan to fight spiritual opposition. And again, I don't want to say that this is exactly, I think, the gospel of what, what is true, but it's interesting to me, whenever I look at different churches and I look at the intercessory groups, the ones that are interceding and praying, they're all women. Almost without, almost without fail, every church that I've seen that has an intercessory group that's interceding for people and interceding against spiritual opposition they're all women. And I'm not saying that men can't participate in this. And I'm not saying men don't have a role in being able to stand up against Satan, stand up against, I think, the things that are going on and spiritual opposition. Of course we are. You know, all Christians are supposed to participate in that. But I think there's a special call that God has given for women to battle on his behalf, to battle for people, to battle for their children to battle for their offspring, which we see in verse 15. We see that there's enmity between Satan and Eve. We see there's enmity between Satan's offspring and Eve's offspring. We see that there's a conflict happening. And it's happening between Satan and Eve. It's really interesting to me because, like, you know, uh, I watch a lot of sports. And so, like, whenever you see sports and they they go over to the sideline or whatever, or uh, they kind of focus in on one of the athletes. You know, the athletes will turn to the camera and they'll wave, and what do they usually say? Hi, mom. I've never seen one that says, hi, dad, right? Which kind of makes me sad, right, as a dad. Like, how come we don't get recognized at all? And you see this like on Father's Day and Mother's Day. Like, Mother's Day is sacred. Father's Day, uh, you're okay, you know, we should do that. But Mother's Day, if you miss Mother's Day, that's something horrible. Right. You cannot do that. Right. It's interesting because Mother's Day and Father's Day are both on a Sunday. Right. And I work on Sunday. So but it's interesting, like when we have Mother's Day and Father's Day, it's totally different. Like Mother's Day is like more sacred, but Father's Day is kind of like a throwaway. Right. And it's kind of a sad (laughs) commentary on men, I think, first. Right. is that men, we should be better as fathers. And we should have a better role in that. And there's a, probably a reason why it's not held in esteem like that, that there's no athlete saying, hey, hi, dad. It's only hi, mom. Okay, I think it's probably a testimony or something against us as fathers. But I think it's also a testimony to this, what we're sharing here. There's something about what God gives to a woman to be able to fight, to be able to battle. To be able to intercede against opposition that's coming against our children and other people. There's something that the Lord gives. There's something special that the woman carries that's unique to the woman and that they carry to be able to do this. And so I want to encourage all of the the women here that are listening God has given you something special for you to be able to fight. For you to be able to intercede, for you to be able to come against opposition, for you to be able to come and to to really stand in the gap, that your role is so powerful and so unique. That when we look at this account in Genesis where God first introduces the idea of his son coming to address sin, saying the woman has such a vital role an important role in all of this where God is going to come and bring about his salvation, where God is going to bring redemption, where God is going to bring healing and cleansing for all the sin, for all of humanity, saying, women, you have a special role. And I wanted to say that because when we look, like I said, throughout the Bible in this patriarchal kind of society, it's accurate. It's it's depicting what's true in society where they're writing and the culture that they're living in but to really emphasize passages like this to really show that there's something special all right that both Adam and Eve were both created in God's image that there's no less right even though in this patriarchal study a lot of them were are talking about men and a lot of the pronouns are he and all these different things but to not take away from the truth and the reality that we're both made in God's image and that God Uh, sees us that way God loves us that way and that Jesus came to die for us in all of that way that Jesus is the savior of the world he's savior for men and savior for women equally and so as we kind of close today I just wanted to first just encourage you in that that God sees you you know if you're like Adam and Eve that you haven't really been walking close with God that you have been doing things that you don't think that God would approve of. That you don't need to hide. That God looks at you. In fact, when we're kind of joking about playing hide and seek with God being a funny thing. Um, when we hide, are we really hiding? Who are we hiding from? That God already knows us and sees us. So for us, the best responses to do is to listen to God's calling saying, I want you to come out from hiding. It's a safe place you can come in to be with me. That he put a plan in place from the very beginning to right what is wrong. That the things that we have done and things we have chosen is not bigger than God. It's not bigger than his plan. It's not bigger than Jesus. It's not bigger than the things that he has. So that when we have sin in our life, it's okay. It's not okay that we're sinning, but it's okay in the fact that we can come out. That we can come before God at any time. Don't let sin cause you to be fearful ashamed or in hiding, to be in isolation. Don't let Satan and don't let sin speak those lies to you. Because God is saying, where are you? In other words, you need to be out here. You need to be out here with me. So when we look at this account, I pray that we could be encouraged that God has saw it from the very, very beginning. No matter what we're going through, that we can come unashamed. So when we see this, I pray that we'd be encouraged to do that and to see, like, praise God. Thank you. Thank you from the very start. You had me in mind in everything that I've gone through. Let's pray. Jesus, you're the savior of the world. You're the savior of all, every single person. We want to thank you, even from the Genesis account, that we saw you in creation We saw you with Adam and Eve, we saw you had a plan for us and a call for us, that we saw that no matter what happened and no matter what we did, that you were already making a way for us. Thank you for your grace and your provision. Thank you that we have so much grace and loving mercy and kindness from you. I pray that you would give us the courage to be able to receive it. Even now as we're sitting, Help us to receive your grace. Help us to receive your love for us. Help us to receive all the things that Jesus made possible for us. Help us to be loved by that and so grateful and full of thanksgiving for you, uh, for what you have done through your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.